HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Heritage Radio Network on Tour was recorded at Slow Food Nations 2017, a festival to taste and explore a world of good, clean, and fair food for all. Slow Food Nations took place in Denver over the weekend of July 14th through 16th and included panels, workshops, roundtables, cooking demos, farmer's markets, food tastings, and more. Heritage Radio Network's Kat Johnson traveled from Bushwick to the Mile High City to report on this first-of-its-kind international gathering presented by Slow Food USA. Heritage Radio Network on Tour is made possible by the support of the Julia Child Foundation. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Katherine Underwood. I'm on the board of Slow Food USA, and I am delighted to welcome you to this Slow Food Nations Roundtable here at WeWork. Many thanks to WeWork for sharing this beautiful lounge and to Williams-Sonoma for their support. Slow Food is a nonprofit committed to inspiring individuals and communities to change the world through food that is good, clean, and fair for all. Uh, we ask that you please take a minute to consider making a donation. We are grateful for your support. Just go to loveslowfood.com. This weekend, any amount will make you a member. This session is There's No Such Thing as American Food, How Diverse Cultures Influence Our Cuisine. And it is hosted by Mitchell Davis, Executive Vice President of the James Beard Foundation. So make yourself comfortable. I hope you have your coffee and your fuel. Uh, the next 60 minutes are meant to be conversation, so don't be shy. Speak up and use the hashtag SlowFoodNations to share these conversations online. And now over to Mitchell. Thank you, Catherine. It's a little bit less of a roundtable and a kind of more of a, more of a let's lie around and have an interesting conversation. Um, I'll give a, a, just a few um, thoughts, uh, overview of what we're talking about today. Of course, as we've been discussing just before we, we came out of the green room, uh, but also over email, this, this is a conversation uh, that could go on for the rest of our lives. Um, what is American food is really underlying it. I, I actually don't believe there's no such thing as American food since we are all Americans, or many of us are. We're sitting here in a country, we are eating things. Um, so, de facto, something exists that is probably unique about, about this place and, and the food that we consume. Um, 
And I, I'll, by means of introduction, before I introduce the panel and let them tell a few um, snippets about, about their background and what they're, where they're coming from in this conversation, um, I want to say that for, uh, I've been at the James Beard Foundation for 24 years, and for 24 years, and even more than that, I've been thinking about what American food means. James Beard is considered the father of American cuisine, with something that he was anointed uh, with by the New York Times in 1957. Um, then as now, I'm not sure anyone knows what that means uh, or meant, but but certainly um, in the 24 years that I've been at the Beard Foundation, we have seen an incredible evolution, you could say revolution, about what food is like in this country, um, whether we're talking um, food at the highest levels of gastronomy or we're talking food at um, in... Um, empty lots in cities with food trucks and and urban farms and everything in between, the myriad things in between. And I think it's that sort of diversity that makes this a really interesting conversation and even forces us to ask the question, what is it? Just because you can't define it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, I would say. Um, I'll relay a small uh, example. Um, Two years ago um, for the Expo Milano, which was the World's Fair in Milan, the first time dedicated to food, the entire World's Fair, first time in 162 years, Uh, I led the team that won and then was able to create the American Pavilion. And so this is a pavilion in 146 countries. We're participating and we're supposed to build a giant building that is a a signature representation of American food. And of course the question is, well, do we build it looking backward? Do we build it looking forward? Do we talk about today? What voices can we include? Um, And that dialogue really forced us to examine this question um, really fundamentally because... Um, although I often fancy myself the person uh, in a conversation who likes to seem as as, little, as least American as possible, and I say that in all due respect, but I you know I, I fancy myself um, more open than we might might um, than people might expect Americans to be. I had to stand on a building, forty thousand square foot building, with a giant American flag on it, and saying, "This is America, and this is American food." And to do that, we we built a restaurant in Milan where we brought sixty five American chefs um, from around the country, uh, hit almost every state in that in that roster. We uh, built a food truck park with six food trucks with rotating uh, regional foods, uh, and we created exhibits um, that showed what we thought was a unique perspective on American food. Um, as I said many times during that six months where seven million, six and a half million people walked through the doors of our pavilion, uh, I don't know that if you had experienced all of that, you would have any clearer idea about what American food is, but you know there's something unique there, just the ambition of it. And it's that uniqueness that we're going to talk about today. We are living in a time where we have been forced to question not just in food, but in in the very being of America, what it means to be American, um, for better and for worse, but certainly out of those conversations, I think, comes some really interesting stuff. And our panelists today, uh, I think, represent um, the, the, the frictions, the wonderfulness, the deliciousness, and the, um, the sort of b- beautiful tapestry that um, would lead us one day, perhaps, to define, uh, to make American food definable. So I'm going to ask each of you to um, say a little bit about who you are and what your project is, just a little bit. And we'll start, why don't we start with Sonia Karras, whose um, who's, uh, project, the League of Kitchens in New York City, I think, um, is, couldn't be any more resonant than the moment we are. Sonia? Thank you. Is this on? Yeah. Hi. Um, thank you all for being here. My name is Sonia Karras, and I'm with the League of Kitchens, which is a unique cooking school in New York City where all of our instructors are immigrants who are exceptional home cooks. 
and teach intimate cooking workshops out of their own home kitchens uh, with an emphasis on their family recipes and traditional cuisine. Um, and then I'll just say personally, this topic is also really important to me. Um, I'm the daughter of immigrants. My dad came from Pakistan in the 70s. My mom's a second-generation New York Ashkenazi Jew. And so cooking for me has also been a personal way in which I have um, understood what it means to be American, to have this mixed background and to explore what that looks like in the context of New York City and American food in general. So thank you. Thank you, Sonia. And next to Sonia, Dana Rodriguez, um, our local uh, participant today, uh, who's the executive chef of Working Class. A little bit about that in your background. Yes. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Dana Rodriguez. I have a restaurant here in Denver. Uh, it's called Working Class. Um, when they invite me to do this, I was very excited. Obviously, I'm an immigrant. Um, I have three daughters that they been raised here, so it's been a little bit difficult to bring the traditions and teach them like America versus where we grow up and what we do. So this one is very interesting to me, and I love to be part of this. And uh, Alon Shaya, who comes to us from New Orleans, although we'll hear more about where he comes from, uh, how he arrives at New Orleans, a little bit about... Yeah, my name is Alan Shaya, and I'm a chef in New Orleans. I uh, was born in Israel uh, and when immigrated to America in 1982 with my family. And uh, pretty much grew up in Philadelphia and moved to New Orleans uh, 14 years ago. But I um, have a couple Italian restaurants and an Israeli restaurant. And, uh, you know, always kind of searching for this answer of what is America, what is American food, and, and like I'm sure how it relates to my story is very different than how it relates to a lot of other stories. But um, to me, America and American food was always the um, what I was trying to become versus where I was, was from. So, um, so let's, start, let's, since you have the microphone, let's start there. Let's talk about uh, that difference between what... Um, from the outside, people think American food is, and what the experience, I mean, obviously, like many experiences, what your experience has been from the inside. Well, I mean, the first time I saw a tater tot was, like, life-changing. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I grew up cooking Bulgarian food and, and Israeli food and, and, uh, with my family as a child. And I remember... Um, well, I was four when I when I moved to America, so I remember like showing up to school with like my container of of uh, you know hummus and stuffed grape leaves and baba ganoush, and I remember like walking into the cafeteria and like sitting down next to people, and they were eating like sloppy joes and tater tots and grilled cheese, and I would be so embarrassed by the hummus because like. They couldn't even pronounce it. Like they didn't even know what it was. And so, for me, it was like I gotta get I gotta get this behind me. Like I gotta get I gotta put this behind me, and I gotta move forward so that I can assimilate and make friends and be be cool and not be different. Um, so, to me, American food at that time of my life was very much my way of assimilating and my way of um, becoming 
uh, normal in in America as a as a five year old immigrant that was trying to to do nothing but but fit in. I think that's a really interesting point that I'd love to talk a little bit about. Um, this idea that I think we often think that America came and took everyone's traditions away because you weren't allowed to have them here. But in some ways, and this is true in other aspects of immigration, at certain times in our history, people willfully gave those things up because they wanted to ascribe or be known for or assimilate, literally, to this idea of America. Dana, can you share some of that experience? And also, we were talking earlier about going back recently to Mexico. I'd love you to, to share that story also. Well, yeah, that was a little bit hard. Like, I've been, um, I've been here for 20 years. I went back to Mexico uh, the last two years, so after 18 years, and I went to look for my traditions. And the first thing I find it was Little Caesar and McDonald's, and I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. Like, what happened? So it was a little bit um, difficult. You moved to America when you're a kid. I I was 20 years old when I moved here. So it was a little bit different from two sides, like from a restaurant standpoint or from my family. You know, when you try to uh, fit in, mm-hmm. like what do you need to be cooking? What do you need to be eating? Also in a restaurant, it's... You try to bring the traditions to cook here, and then people is like, what is this? Right. So you tend to change things so people like it. Right. That's when you start losing who you are. And that's when I was a little confused about what what I need to be doing. Like, I was confused, like, um, where to go. Right. And then that's when you choose, like, well, I want to keep my traditions. I want to bring what I know and make sure people like it uh, without covered things the way that they want it. So it was very interesting. But like I say, you know, for me, it's two different sides. Like from a family, uh, your traditions keep who you really are. And when you're a business person, I mean, you need to make sure you make business and you make money. So your restaurant is still open. But I think that's an interesting point. And Sonia, I'll put this to you. When you come to a place, it also determines sort of how you are received. I mean, America is still America consistently, but in food, 10 years ago arriving here would have been very different from 25 years ago, would have been different again from 50 years ago, just because of the interest and the evolution in the food community. I'm curious, Sonia, the the immigrants that you work with in your program, um, do they feel a need to forget? It sounds like really they want to retain and share and celebrate. Right, yeah. I mean, I I think one thing that's interesting being located in New York City, and I think this is true in other areas across the country, is that in recent years, we've actually seen the largest wave of immigration since the turn of the century. Um, So I think last time I checked in New York, 37% of the population is foreign-born. That doesn't even take into consideration uh, the children of immigrants. Right. immigrants. Um, in Queens, it's even higher, approaching 50%. Right. Um, and so I, I think that for us, um, a big part of what we see our role is just to call out the traditions and skills and expertise that already exist in our city um, and to do it in a way where we're... Um, you know, Alan shared a story when we were... Um, in the back about going to Kamal and, you know, some tasting someone's food and, and that wanting that recognition, that value, that what you are bringing to this country, what you're bringing with you is worthwhile um, and is meaningful. And I think that for us, 
Um, we have 11 instructors right now from all over the world. They teach classes in their own homes. And to be able to have students come to taste their food, to tell them that it's good, it's interesting, to be impressed by their skills, uh, to write them thank you notes and send them thank you gifts, to invite them out afterwards because they feel like they um, want to thank them for this incredible experience. It's a it's a way to give value to um something that for many people, if you don't see it as value, you might want to shred it when you come to this country. Mm. Um, And I think that for us, that happens in a kind of social, emotional way by creating meaningful connections with people um, and also in a a monetizable way that to be able to pay people um, is a way to recognize the value of the skills that they're coming with. To what extent, uh, that's an interesting, well, two things I'd like to say. One is a point of fact, I, in some of the academic work that I've done on taste and, and um, nation building, let's say, um, it, I was surprised to find a cover of the New Yorker magazine from 1927 that was a celebration of all the foods you could eat in New York City, and there were 40 different cuisines on that cover as early as 1927. So someone knew, there, there, there is a tradition in America of, of this diversity, and I think that that's one of the things that makes it both hard to wrap your head around what American food is, is what is Israeli food in America, American food or Israeli food or some mixture of these things, as you say, you sort of cater to the tastes. But also I think um, it brings into question um, something we were talking about, the, the values of America. I mean, we're in this moment right now where I think part of what this question is, there not being anything such as American cuisine, is about the diversity of the people, as you say. And those are both represented in the food, but also in the people who work in food and in the respect that those people have and in our political spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder if we could talk about um, what you see as the values of America reflected in our food and if that might help us wrap our head around what American food is or not or make it more complicated. Why don't we start with you, Sonia? The last person with the microphone yeah. gets the most difficult question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's a it's a difficult question to answer, and it's also a question that for us, I feel, um, you know, if you ask, if we were talking a year ago, it would feel really different. I mean, I just think we can't not talk about politics right now. That um, for us. Um, you know, working with a lot of home cooks, and I think I think this is part of the conversation because I think a lot of how we think of um, American food is what's coming out of restaurants. restaurants right. And for us working with home cooks, I, I think that those dishes, techniques, ingredients um, are often excluded from that conversation. Um, and I think that. Um, that distinction, there's an opportunity right now to blur that a little Mm. bit. So, for example, um, historically, all of our workshops are in the home, um, and but recently, um, Angela DiMiugo, who's the executive Mm. chef at Mission Chinese, reached out to us, and we partnered with her on the Creative Time Gala, which was a huge gala, and she used all of the recipes from our cooks Mm. for that event. And so I think that... um, I don't think that would have happened before the election. I think that there is an interest right now in um, being more visible and vocal about the contributions of immigrants as a way, as a form of political mm. protest, as a backlash against the like dehumanizing rhetoric that's coming out of government. Um, and I think that there's an uh, it, it gives us an interesting opportunity for for new collaboration to kind of blur those lines a little bit. 
Uh, wow, there's a lot in that. Um, including, I would say, the devaluation of home cooking and the rise of celebrity cooking, which has become so linked to American food, mm -hmm. but also has implications in gender, like home is where women cook and Absolutely. restaurants is where men cook. Yep. And, and race. And race, yeah. of course. And also of... Uh, sort of validation of professionalism of appropriation, which is a we'll get there later. We don't yeah. want to go there right now, yeah. but maybe Dana, this idea of values from your perspective, you you, um, you you love Denver. You're not leaving Denver. Something resonates here with you, and I'm wondering to what extent is that the the sort of openness of the place and your ability to sort of define who you are here that might be different and that might be reflected in your food. Well, um, I just was thinking when she was talking about values, how that word, it can, it means so much. Uh, and to me, values and appreciation is a big thing on the um, kitchens, you know. Uh, I was just having a conversation the other day with a person that he tried, or, you know, how's my tortillas? Everybody's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, I have this girl coming at six in the morning and make... 2,000 tortillas by hand every day, 3,000 whatever a month, or whatever. She made 100,000 in a year. I say appreciation to me is the simplicity of understand things from the bottom. Um, I was just talking to my kids, and they say, Mom, you can go to the store and buy a package for $3. And I say, yeah. How much I pay Patty to make all those tortillas a day. How much I appreciate the labor of those things. You know, the simplicity of the roots that we have, people don't understand. I think value and appreciation to me is in a totally different um, um, aspect. Right, yes. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that that's, that's the value to me on the industry, you know, to recognize the simplicity of the farmers, like where we get our product from. Um, did this, these people treat their farmers right? Did they do the right thing um, with compost? Mm -hmm. We do, you know, like it's, it's so extend. Uh, it's, it's a big uh, conversation. But to me, it's, I always go to the most simple thing instead of getting, you know, political and all that stuff. Yes, I know it's, it's affecting all of this, but I'm not so good at it. I try to focus everything on what is in my four walls, which is my kitchen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Alone, about values. And I, I want to... I'll say something that I have said before publicly and often gets me into trouble, but we, we hear, you know, food is... Cooking is love, or food made with love is better... I think that's crap. I mean, I've had some, I know some real assholes who make delicious food, you know, without any love whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but, and yet, there's something about this exchange. I mean, there is nourishment, there is this performance of an identity, of a pride, of a place, and of uh, the value of feeding someone and, and sharing. And I wonder if from a professional chef's perspective, someone who's, who's worked in different genres of food all under the guise of America, if maybe you have some insight into that or thoughts. I mean, v value is such a, a relative term. I think that you can look at it in many different ways. I think, you know, like your, your handmade tortillas that are, that are so special to what you guys do um, deserve all the value that they can get. But sometimes it's all about what's popping up on Instagram or what is kind of trending at the moment. And I think that just kind of, uh, you know, like 
avocado toast has a huge value, or maybe it did like last week. I don't know about this week. There's little value to it, but everyone wants it. I mean, it's, you know, and so when you think of like value, you have to think about like, well, what are people talking about? What are people, what do people want right now? And, um, where that, that is, that is the story of, of America. It is not, um, celebrating some kind of cultural history but it's more of opening the doors and inviting people in and building the country uh that way and you know so the the value comes from how much diversity can we have and how much can we respect the diversity that we do have to me that's american value mm. and if uh if we all of a sudden try to like latch on to some idea of what we think America is from one political standpoint or another, I think it really devalues the, the, the basis of what this country was really built on. Mm-hmm. I think for me it was when I, when I celebrated who I was for, and started cooking Israeli food in New Orleans and people were receptive to it and enjoyed it that that to me is america right that's like where else else could that happen where else where else can you do that especially in such an iconic city like new orleans that is so american but really it's you know so not american right right? and um my wife emily and i just took a, a road trip down into cajun country last weekend and you know, we're eating fried soft shell crab and, and shrimp etouffee and we're, we're eating, um, you know, flounder stuffed with shrimp with crab sauce on top. And like, that's American food. That is American food because it only exists in this one place in the entire world. But then the people that are serving it to us are speaking French, but they've never even been to France. You know, it's, it's because their ancestors were French and then Acadians and then, and then Cajuns and, and the, and they've held on to that history and and they've held on to that tradition of their family, but it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in France. It doesn't exist in Nova Scotia. It only exists in this small little part of the country that is about to get sucked under the Gulf of Mexico. So that, that to me is more American than anything, Mm -hmm. but it's also so far away from what, um, what this kind of stereotypical American thing is, uh, which is the ham, the cheeseburger or something or which, you know, which is, which is the, the fact that like where, um, yeah, that, 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 we should close our doors right. and, and that we shouldn't keep our doors open. And I think that that breaks down America, mm-hmm. not build up America because America's going to continue to, to evolve. So I, I think like you told the story about when you guys were going to Italy to do this American food festival and you were like, no, we don't want to do cheeseburgers. We want to like show off what, what the other American food is and everybody's like, no, you got to do cheeseburgers. Like that's what the Italians want. And then you sold 550,000 cheeseburgers that week. That's true. And, (laughs) um, but that's, 
you know, be proud of the cheeseburger is what I say. I love cheeseburgers and they love cheeseburgers. And so let's, let's be proud of the cheeseburger and let's not try to like say, Oh, it's almost too American. We're, 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 uh, we're shy about it the way that I was with hummus when I was five. Right. Oh my God. I, I just want to sit here all day and talk to you and you, and we'll, we'll let, we'll let questions come at the end. A few things that come to mind from what you said, and then we'll get to the, probably the most complicated question of this moment in this topic, which is appropriation. Um, one is I, I, I resonate with this um, idea that Madhur Joffrey, the great uh, Indian cookbook uh, writer and actor, has said, which is let's not forget French is an ethnic food here. Like that we somehow we think there are some things that don't exist outside our context. But yes, you might think French is fancy food everywhere, but actually it's an ethnicity from another place. So to your point, um, where things come from. And I'll, I'll relay a small story about that Italian experience. Many of you may know Kathy Wims, who's a great chef from Oregon, who's famous for her Piedmontese Italian cooking. And when she cooked in Milan, all the chefs had this question, especially those from Italian restaurants, do I cook Italian food or will they kill me if I cook that in Milan? And should I just make we served a lot of grits, by the way, <laughs> a lot of grits, um, which everyone thought would sort of assimilate like polenta in Italy. But Kathy decided to go full on and make a Piedmontese meal just around the corner from Piedmont. And at the end of the dinner, there was a, a sort of drunken Italian um, restaurant critic in the dining room, and he banged on the table and stood up and said, I can't believe there's not an Italian in the kitchen that was such an amazing Italian meal. And she almost burst into tears because that is the highest compliment you could give an Italian, an American chef. She's not an Italian, she has no Italian in her, I don't think, cooking in America. So this idea of of appropriation, this is to lead me to this conversation because I think it's really fraught. I understand the political reasons that we mentioned of today, of needing to celebrate and own your cuisine. But, But how do we then not be, have, be so American as that anyone can cook it because this is where we are, where we are all together. And I want to ask that question to, uh, of you, Sonia. Yeah. Just some thoughts on this moment we're in where if, to not be Mexican or Italian or, or Peruvian or whatever and cook some other cuisine is not really allowed right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there are kind of two issues in this conversation that are, are interesting to me. I think one is um, that within one's own experience, like I know for me in my kitchen, I feel very comfortable with experimentation, creativity, uh, adapting different recipes. Um, And I think with uh, food that we see as other, and especially food that we label as traditional, we want to like capture it in a specific period in time. Um, And I think that's something that's come up for us in our classes. We have a Mexican instructor who makes all of her salsas by hand. She makes them every day. She uses a Vitamix for almost all of them. Um, There's one salsa that she says she believes tastes better using the traditional uh, mocajete. But other than that, like, she loves her Vitamix. (laughs) And, you know, who are we to say, like, no, that's not the traditional way of doing it. You have to be um, using a stone grinder every time you're, like... Making a salsa, right? Um, So I think that's something we think about a lot: is like, what is this balance between valuing tradition, not losing tradition, um, celebrating those specific tools that were created? Um, You know, our Japanese instructor, uh, when she makes her okonomiyaki, has like a very specific pan, very specific chopsticks. You know, this is stuff we we don't want to lose, that we want to um, value. And at the same time, um, 
Our Uzbek instructor, Demira, has a she makes all of her own dough from scratch. She has a three-foot rolling pin. It's a dowel from Home Depot. I mean, there's like a, a opportunity to be flexible and be traditional that I think is is an important part of this conversation because often when we talk about appropriation, we're talking about, uh, you know, taking something out of context and taking just certain pieces of it. And I think that these things are are always evolving and changing in ways that are really interesting and should be part of the story. Um, and then the other piece of this that I think comes up in our work a lot is just the cultural context of food. And I think this is why for us it's so important that our workshops happen in the home and that we believe that what we're doing is really different from going and eating Lebanese food in a Lebanese restaurant. Because when you're in someone's home, you know, our Indian, Nepali, and Bengali instructors all eat with their hands. That's that's part of the the experience of eating those cuisines um are you know in nepali food uh you're always on your plate and our instructor has these beautiful um tallies and there's always rice dal two vegetables and a pickle there's a structure to the meal that um you might not know if you just go into a nepali restaurant and order off the menu um our Argentinian instructor does a mate ceremony at the start of every class. This is something that is so deeply embedded in her tradition and her culture. Um, and you pass the same gourd from person to person. That's not something you're going to do uh, with strangers in a restaurant if you're even going right. to get it out of a gourd. Now you can get it in a tea bag at Whole Foods. You know, right. So I think that, the, that seeing food as p- one piece in a broader part of culture um, is an important step to being more uh, sensitive about what it looks like when you then start to um, incorporate that into your own experiences. Let me ask, let me put two of you on the spot with one question, (laughs) if I may. Um, Alon learns to make tortillas from um, the person who comes in the morning to your restaurant, and his next concept is a tortilla, is a taqueria. How do you feel about that? Very happy. Very happy because then he can say, then I can say, ooh, you got the best tortillas thanks to me. No, no I think it's... Um, I mean, it's, I'm obviously be asking a, provo- a polemic question. But, yeah, yeah, no, it, it's great because I always talk about that when, um, especially here in Denver, it's a lot of competition. Like, I feel that when you talk to... Um, to the press. You're going to open a new restaurant, what you're going to be doing, well, this other chef is going to open the same thing. And I always talk to the people at the restaurant, my partners, and I say, there is no such a thing. There is not a competition. I can give the same recipe to five, ten different people. Every single one is going to taste different. We are so familiar with our culture or things that they're close to us. I'm not Italian. I start in an Italian restaurant. When I right. moved here, I have no clue what prosciutto was. Right. And I fell in love with making house-made pastas. Um, I have a great mentor. I learned that cuisine really well. Um, I was a chef at a French restaurant, and when people say, what is this Mexican doing in a French restaurant? Well, I love what to learn. Doesn't mean I'm not seeing myself competing with a French chef. He has his own style. I got my own style. Same thing with my cuisine. You know, like if I can go and cook with a different uh, Mexican chef, 
we're going to cook the same recipe, the most traditional cochinita pibil. It's going to take so different right. between me and 10 people. Right. So it's not such a thing to me. It's just more what you put into um, into what you're making. Right. You know, it's not like I, I people ask for our recipes, and I'm like, yeah, you can have right. it. Like, why not? Like, I feel that the food, I mean... I don't like when people say, oh, this is my ferrucini. Well, ferrucini doesn't belong to anybody. You change the flavor, you put, you add something, you um, change the color in the noodles, you use a different vegetable for noodles. You can do as much as you want, but ferrucini is always ferrucini. ferrucini. You do your own thing. Um, did that make you think that that's your own? It's up to you, I guess. It's a personal mm-hmm. thing. Um, but when it comes to food, it's... Open it's open, way. yeah. That's the way that I see food. Alon, your thoughts? I mean, I, I will say that before I knew you, I was told I had to go eat at Domenico in New Orleans because it was this amazing Italian restaurant, and it blew my mind. I sat at the bar, and I ate three pizzas and a whole cauliflower and all kinds of delicious things uh, and didn't know there was uh, an Israeli chef in there cooking uh, right. the food. Well, you know, um, when I came back from living in Italy... My wife started calling me Alonzo because <laughs> I, uh, you know, I was like I took on the identity of an Italian for for a while, and I was proud of it. I got a Vespa, I got a man purse, you know. I was dressing better, ciao, and ciao. and yeah, you know, I was blowing kisses to all the ladies. I loved it, you know, and that like so. I think the whole appropriation argument when it comes to food at least is a bunch of bullshit excuse my language but I, I really do think that if we could create a planet to put all of the people that argue about food appropriation onto that planet we would be much better off on earth uh, you know I think that Dana put it in, in the perfect context when she said that like I love to learn I love to experience new things and like how do you ever want to hold somebody back from doing that I I heard the story about the the um, ladies in Portland that were going to open up a, a Mexican restaurant coming up. Yeah, yes. and they yeah. they they go to Mexico and they, you know, they study at the markets and they meet the, the women that are making the tortilla or the men that are making the the tacos or they, they go and experience that culture and then they come back and they want to celebrate that culture. Um, like, the tacos are either going to be good or they're not going to be good and they're either going to sell them and make money or they're not going to sell them and make money and you just have to let the market work mm-hmm. that out. You can't make that a political thing. And, and if you do, then, again, it just devalues everything that our American values were kind of built on to what's gotten our country to this point today. I think Sonia wants to say something, but I, I'd also like to acknowledge that there's this question of authenticity in food and, and the political reality we're in, and they're not always the same. So, Yeah, and I, th- I actually agree with, with both Dana and Alan. I just think... Um, in in my line of work, what I see is that um, not everybody has the same opportunities to showcase the skills and the and the expertise that they may have. And you know, I all of our instructors learn to cook when they you know they tell stories of being in the kitchen when they're eight nine. Um, our Afghan instructor 
was married very young. She didn't even meet her husband. She was sent to live with her mother-in-law in Pakistan. She cooked three meals a day for a household of 35 people um, for her entire life until she fled and came to the country. And she's an incredible cook. And that was never anything that she ever was going to have an opportunity in New York even, to open a restaurant, to be paid for, to be valued for. No one was ever telling her, you know, you're making good beans, good job, you know. So I I think that that is a real reality for a lot of of immigrants in this country. And I think that um, part of what we're really trying to do, and, you know, this is, again, the separation between home cooking maybe and and restaurant cooking or professional cooking, but... um, that how can we, you know, not just go and then take and then make money off of it, but really celebrate and give opportunities to people who already have these skills. Especially if the voice that they do have is their food, and that's what we silence by taking that away and giving it to someone else or not acknowledging. Um, I want to end with a question that really questions our question. Um, And that is, is there anything... Let's agree American food is hard to define. And I would almost argue, and I've said this quite a bit, that that asking what is American cuisine is kind of like asking a French question. There isn't an American answer because cuisine is a French idea. The French like to codify things and put them in books. And in 1535, they put the whole world into 17 encyclopedias. And that was that. And in America, we don't do that. You know, we we are this place where we forget or we mix up or we, we, we cherish our openness to never remember and tear down all the buildings and do all that kind of stuff. So that aside, let's assume that let's assume that there's some project that could lead us one day to define American food. Is that worthwhile? Do you think there is something meaningful in that, um, useful in that, gastronomically, but even politically? Um, and I ask because in other cultures that we've talked a few about, whether it's Italy or you could say Japan or other places, you're so identified, your food is so much a part of your identity, and it's part of why I think there's a pride and respect and a value of making it better, because in Italy, what you eat is who you are, and here, what you throw out is who you are, what you buy is who you are, all these other things are who you are. I'm just wondering if you think there's a value to one day defining American food in a way that we may or may not all agree on, um, and if not, um, how do we go forward and sort of celebrate ourselves um, without that in the larger world? Little, whoever wants to go first, I won't, I won't pick on anyone. Well, I think... Um, I think the kitchen, and you're going to agree with me on this one, uh, we're a different world. We see things in a different way. Uh, it's our second family. It's our second home. We People outside of the kitchen don't see things the way that we see it. Um, and I believe that we already have an answer for that. I mean, to me, uh, American food is just all the cultures that come to America. It's all that we can bring from where we came from, either if you wanted to change it to be more American or if you want to stick with your traditions, it's just a bunch of different cultures together. And and that's all it is. It's very simple on the kitchen. (laughs) And it'll change tomorrow and three years from now and forever. Yeah, let's just say this whole slow food thing works and, you know, in 100 years, everyone's like, only eating, you know, vegetables that are grown like in their backyard or chickens that are running around their their street. Um, 
you know, and then there's a museum that opens up that's like the American Food Museum, and it's, you know, California rolls and fajita and um, pepperoni pizza and Philly cheesesteak. salad, maybe, right? Yeah, and, you know, like a, a French toast cheeseburger thing. <laughs> The cronut. Um, There's got to be a whole the wing cronut. on the cronut, right? There'll be, there'll be like, uh, cat scans of, you know, all different types of sandwiches cut in half with, like, little cheesy strings coming out. And um, I would love to visit that museum. <laughs> you know, I think that I think that whether or not it continues this way or, or we kind of look back at, at the Big Mac and, and one day and say, like, oh, will we remember that time? Um I think that it it holds meaning and it holds value and it's it's a part of who we are as a as a country and that you know whether or not we want to eat it for dinner or whether or not we agree that that's a good dish or whether or not we agree that it's American or Mexican or or Moroccan or whatever we we can agree that it existed mm-hmm. and the fact that it existed means that it's a reality that we have to face in one way or another so i um i celebrate it and i think that that would be an amazing mm-hmm. thing to continue to explore what is american food and 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 i think that answer will never end mm-hmm. uh, sonia i'd like you to uh, i'm going to refine the question a little bit because i think it is so important for us to remember that home cooking is part of a cuisine or food and always is in every culture of the world, but we've forgotten that a little bit. So if you could comment from that perspective. Yeah, I'll say that, um, I mean, when you asked your earlier question, I thought, you know, I'm as just personally find myself getting in trouble when I hold on to some desired outcome. But the process is what's really fascinating to me. And I think one of the most rewarding things about um, my job is that... Uh, Every day I see people sign up to take work to take our workshops and they are um native New Yorkers they are uh people who weren't born in New York but now live there people visiting New York from other parts of the country and people visiting New York from all over the world who see um the experience of going out to Bay Ridge, Brooklyn and learning to cook Lebanese food as essential to understanding what it means to be in New York and to be in America. And I think that that, the fact that that process is already in place means we are moving towards creating that kind of identity. Um, And I think it's really beautiful that that is happening in the home because it is about food. Yes, I think that um, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think that there is something important about sitting around a, a table together and sharing a meal together. But there's so much other stuff that you experience in someone's home. It's about meeting their family, seeing their artwork, listening to the music that they're listening to, um, seeing a, a real individual. And I think that that humanization of um, of American food is is really exciting that there are actual people whose stories are going to create whatever this outcome is that we land on. Mm-hmm.